we begin here this morning to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We were reminded last week that we are called to be a people of the word and people of prayer. Paul reminded us with these words that are before us here this morning in Ephesians 6, beginning at verse 18, that with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, he said, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. So he's saying, essentially, that with all kinds of prayers in all kinds of situations, we are to be a people of prayer, to pray without ceasing. We are to be a people who are watchfully disposed, a people who pray, as it were, with our eyes open. We are to be a people who pray persistently with great determination that God hears our prayers and he answers those prayers in accordance with his will. We are to be a people who pray directionally, pray for the saints with all perseverance and petition for all those who are trusting in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And as we go before God's throne of grace, we are to pray in that way. And we stop short of the verses that we're going to cover here this morning. Of these two verses in which Paul the pastor asked God, our triune God and Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, by the power of His Spirit, He asked for something personal, yet necessary and essential. He asked for prayer for the servant of God. Look at these verses with me here this morning. Verses 19 and 20. Ephesians 6. And pray also for me on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. The grass withers and the flowers fade and fall, but the words, these words of our Lord God endure forever. Heavenly Father, Almighty, triune, faithful, and true God, We come to you this morning and pray that our ears would hear the sound of your fatherly voice speaking to your children. We pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, might be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Many of you carry around with you 
a phone that is called smart. And sometimes it seems to be much smarter than I and maybe some of us and some of the things that it does because it is a mystery to us how everything works in order to get us the information and store that information for us. But maybe you didn't know that behind the surface of what you see, there are applications that are working secretly. Now, not to gather secret information about you, but they are hidden applications, applications that are working in the background that if they did not work, your phone would not work the way you expect it to work. We come in contact with things every day that have power in them and we don't immediately see that power. Most of you, I think, with exception of one, drove here this morning. Under the hood, the British call it the bonnet, of the car is an engine that powers that vehicle that got you here this morning. Ships have uh, power plants deep within the hull of that craft that powers them from port to port, place to place. Our Lord's body, the church, has an engine room. Did you realize that? has a powerhouse, and its engine room is prayer. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, I mentioned him last week, 19th century British uh, pastor and preacher, often called the Prince of Preachers, would take visitors into the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, down into the basement of that massive building, to see the powerhouse, what he called the powerhouse of that church. People constantly praying for the work, the worship, the ministry, the pastors of that church. Spurgeon, as I said, called that room the powerhouse of the church. Spurgeon knew the power of prayer He knew the need for prayer. And when asked the secret of his influential preaching ministry for so many years, he answered frequently this way. He said, my people pray for me. The people of that church prayed for him. Here we see a pastor, Pastor Paul, responsible for 13 of our New Testament books. One who was eloquent with his words, wise beyond many people's ways, powerful in his ministry of the word. Here is a servant of God who asks for prayer. He wasn't afraid to ask that people pray for him. Because he knew it was necessary for his ministry and his service in the kingdom of God. 
This is not the only place that we see and hear about Paul asking people to pray for him. In uh, Romans chapter 15, verse 30, he says, Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers. In your prayers to God for me. In Colossians chapter 4, we read this. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it, in prayer, with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, for his ministry and that team, that God would open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned. Second Thessalonians, he writes, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you. And very simply, at the end of 1 Thessalonians, he says, Brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ, pray for us. The writer of Hebrews, whoever that was, some say it may have been Paul, but it never says who wrote it, and history never points, uh, at least tradition uh, never really says that it was Paul. There's a lot of discussion about that, but you can't help but sort of hear the pastor Paul in these words in Hebrews 13, 18, when he says, pray for us. For we are sure that we have a good conscience, desiring to conduct ourselves honorably, honorably in all things. He, he's saying, pray that we are true in these things. And here in Ephesians, Pastor Paul reminds the church to pray with all kinds of prayers, with all kinds of petitions, in all kinds of situations, remaining alert at all times, praying persistently and perseveringly, interceding for the saints. And he says, pray also for me. See, the one constant in our Lord's kingdom and in the church, the glue that holds all our ministries together is, first of all, God's sovereign grace. But something hidden behind the work of that church is prayer, essential to the ministry. As we study the passages of Scripture and the history of our Lord's church through time, one thing is constant in the lives of God's most effective saints, and that is prayer. If we're going to be the church that God has called us to be, if we're going to be as effective as God intends for us to be, then we must be a church. We must be a people that prays. That prays without ceasing. Think about it. We represent something beyond description. And that is, in a sense, heaven here on earth. As God is molding us and shaping us into the people that He desires us to do, that we might 
be a reflection of his glory here in the darkness of this world. Our struggle, Paul has said, is not against flesh and blood. We struggle against the schemes, the the methods of Satan and his minions and without the powerhouse of prayer. Of prayer generating for uh, the work of our Lord's church. Like I said, except by God's grace, we labor in vain. We labor for the hearts and the souls and the salvation of men and women and children here and across the world. How can we set off into this uh, spiritual battle that we are confronted with without one of the most essential elements of preparation for that battle, and that is prayer? The Word of God. And all the other elements of our armor that God has given to us. Prayer for the saints. Prayer for the work of the church. And prayer for me, Paul says. I have to admit, as I stand here before you, there's a little awkwardness. A slight sense of selfishness in preaching this text to you and asking for you to pray for me. It'd be easier, as I mentioned to someone yesterday, it would be easier for me to stand in Grace Presbyterian Church's pulpit or any pulpit in Clinton and preach this text before their congregation and encourage them to pray for their pastors. My concern is not so much for me and myself, but for all those who are in ministry and service or who are called to be in ministry and service, that we as a congregation, as God's people, would or could pray faithfully for them as they serve. I know many churches in this presbytery pray regularly for churches in this presbytery. Someone mentioned to me a few weeks ago that they had tuned in to First Press uh, and they were praying for Wendell Presbyterian Church. And I said, bring it on. <laughs> Amen. We need it. The Apostle Paul understood the necessity of prayer directed to him and his ministry. Spurgeon understood that. I understand that. Anybody who is called into the ministry understands that ministry cannot move forth effectively as God intends it to move unless it is supported and bathed in prayer. If I'm going to be the preacher and the pastor God intends for me to be, I need your prayers. I must have your prayers. I can't do it without you. Paul asked, he coveted, he pleaded passionately for the prayers of the saints because there is strength in our union with Christ. And God honors and answers those faithful kinds of prayers. It was Jonathan Edwards, 18th century American revivalist preacher, 
during the time that we know of the Great Awakening. He was effective in his ministry and his call. He wrote these words. He said at that time, he said, if some Christians that have been complaining of their ministers had said and acted less before people and had applied themselves with all their might to cry to God for their ministers, had, as it were, risen and stormed heaven with their humble, fervent, and incessant prayers for them, they would have been much more in the way of success. How can we pray for those who are in ministry? For those who are called into service, full-time service in our Lord's kingdom. First of all, we ought to pray that they would draw from that divine supply of truth, which is the Word of God. I have mentioned over the years to various people that I would have little or nothing to say without this word. I know that may seem hard to believe to some because I seem to go on and on forever here on Sunday morning, but it's because of this. There's so much here that we need to hear and see and understand. Paul says, pray on my behalf that utterance, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth. This word, this utterance, which is the word logos in the Greek, means having the right word for the right occasion. It means that when you pray, when we pray for those in ministry, that we pray that God would give to those in ministry and service the right words at the right time for the right occasion. Pray that those who are called to preach would be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit through that Word. And God would supply the words that they needed to speak His words and would speak them as He leads them to speak those words. Paul preached a mystery. The mystery of the Gospel. He told the church at Corinth and Chapter 1, verse 18, 1 Corinthians. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God and the wisdom of God. There is that mystery that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, very God, and very man, would take upon himself our flesh. That gospel is the story of his life and death, his burial and resurrection from the grave in order to justify us, to give us a right standing before God, to declare us free from the penalty of sin. The mystery of that gospel is that God has provided a way where there is now no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. That gospel tells us about the one who is the way, the truth, and our life who came 
to die for our sin. To take upon Himself the penalty of our sin. That so by His death, we might be healed. We might be declared righteous and justified in God's presence. Oh, what a glorious message that is. Pray that God would give those who stand in pulpits across this city, the metroplex, the state, the United States, and the world would give those men who faithfully stand in those pulpits across the world the right words to declare the truth of that message and to make known the Gospel with boldness. The mystery of that Gospel. Pray for them. Pray for me. That God would give us power and strength. That He would increase and those who are delivering those messages would decrease and you would see God and literally know him speaking to you also as we pray that words would be put in their mouths coming from the gospel the mystery of the gospel the gospel of Peace and rest. Pray also that those who preach would preach boldly as they proclaim that truth. Pray that God would enable those people to not be people pleasers, that they would be God pleasers. And oh, How easy it is to fall in that trap. Paul was no coward. He admitted, though, that he needed prayer. He needed the power of that prayer bathing his ministry so he might not fail to declare the whole truth of God, the entire counsel of the Word of God, and through fear of the people not back off from preaching. Paul didn't preach ever apologetically in the sense that he was asking forgiveness for what he preached, nor did he preach hesitatingly. He was often in your face. I wonder how long he'd be in some of the pulpits across our world today. See, pastors, as pastors, we are called to be ambassadors for Christ. God has called some particularly to preach His Word from pulpits. And any preacher who wants to please Christ wants to speak boldly for Him. Pray for those who regularly preach that gospel message, that they would proclaim that message of the gospel courageously, bravely, and truthfully, and honestly. Pray for those preachers that they would not be swayed by fear of the congregations that they stand before, that they would preach without apology, that they would not be silenced by fear 
of what those congregations might say or do. Pray for them. Pray for me. That we would speak boldly the Word of God. Think for a minute. I've been here in Wendale, in Terry, since uh, 2014. Okay? You do the math. I'm not going to. I might get it wrong this morning. Think about the things I know about you. I have the privilege of knowing your joys and your sorrows, your successes and even your failures. I also get to know your weaknesses and in many cases your struggles with sin. Remember this also, that the longer I'm here, not only will I know more things about you, but you will know things about me. The great challenge in all of this is to stay true to God's Word. Despite knowing all these things, to say the right things at the right time takes courage often. The truth of God's Word. To be bold and courageous all the while without hesitation and without compromise, speaking the truth in love. So pray for those pastors. Pray also for me. Pray that those who stand in the pulpits across the world would have confidence to persevere in that truth that they proclaim. After asking the Ephesian church to pray for him, that utterance of uh, words might be given to him, to Paul, in the opening of his mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, notice this very passing remark. He says, For which I am an ambassador in chains. Remember, Paul is in prison as he writes these words. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says this, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of all our afflictions which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death, and will deliver us, He on whom we have set our hope, and He will deliver us yet. You also joining in helping us through your prayers, so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. 
The Apostle Paul, in passing, just reminds us and the Ephesian church a little bit of, about the trials that pastors, that ministers, those called to the ministry often undergo for the sake of the gospel. And in doing so, he's saying to them, saying to us, that he wants us to be faithful even in chains if God decides to chain us. And in reminding them, he reminds us that he's actually asking Christians to pray for those who minister among them, that they might have endurance even in seasons of trials and troubles and temptations and tribulations. Because pastors are people too. I hate to tell you that. (laughs) I'm a person. I'm a people just like you. As strong as we consider the Apostle Paul, there were times when even Paul struggled with the same things that every human being struggles with, as does every pastor Because we're all formed out of the same clay, the same dust as every other human being. Martin Luther, the great Martin Luther of the Protestant Reformation, for him, theology was not simply the academic study of religion, of your beginning to study. Systematics and languages, Matthew. And yet Martin Luther said, theology was not simply the academic study of religion, it was a lifelong process of struggle and temptation. You have just begun. Luther never tired of saying, only experience makes a theologian. He said this, I did not learn my theology at once, he said, but I had to search deeper for it where my temptations took me, not understanding, reading, or speculation, but living, nay, dying, and dying daily makes a theologian. He's saying here that ministers are made in the crucible They're made as they pass through the fire. That's where God makes pastors and ministers. So pray for those in the gospel ministry because you can be sure that one way or another if God has called somebody into the ministry and service in His kingdom, He's going to try them and test them and make them the people that He intends for them to be so that they might be fit instruments in order to proclaim the truth of the gospel with boldness and with humility. Spurgeon could speak to the minister's fainting spells. He went through seasons 
the prince of preachers himself, when he did not feel capable of carrying on the ministry, when he didn't feel equipped to carry on the ministry and go up into that pulpit and preach the Word of God. Samuel Rutherford, 17th century Scottish Presbyterian pastor and one of the Scottish commissioners to the Westminster Assembly, loved his congregation in one particular city, but is sent halfway across the country to Aberdeen and in exile there, as he called it, far away from his people and his heart would be broken because he left the people he loved. James Montgomery Boyce. Some of you may remember him from 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. There for 32 years. Will be at the height of his ministry and service. And he's diagnosed with cancer and he dies three months later. Closer to home. There's a pastor in Clinton, Alan Stanton, pastor of Pinehaven, PCA, diagnosed with cancer a few months ago and still struggling with treatment and recovery, but still the pastor of that church. God has His ways. We don't always understand them, but we know That God knows what He's doing. And He is good all the time. See, we as Christians have the privilege of joining together with the saints of all ages to pray for those faithful to preach the Gospel. Ministers of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray for them even through and in the midst of their trials and troubles and tribulations because they, we, are people just like you. Pray for them. Pray for me. And I ask, if you would, to prop me up with your prayers. In Exodus chapter 17, beginning specifically in verse 8 and following, there's an account there of one man called to pastor a people, to lead a group of people out of Egypt who tried to tell God that he was unskilled in speech. And how was God going to use him to speak to Pharaoh? And we can look back and see what God did in and through him. But Exodus 17 describes a confrontation there with Amalek. Amalek had come and fought against Israel at Rephidim. Moses stationed himself on the top of a hill with the staff of God in his hands. You often see pictures of him painted, holding his staff up. Israel and Amalek were in battle. And there Moses stood. The contest was severe and close. When Moses held his hands up, 
Israel prevailed when he let his hands or rested his hands down because the weight got to be so intense for him. Amalek prevailed. As long as Moses held that rod, that staff up, Israel prevailed. But when he let it down, Amalek prevailed. Moses' hands grew heavy. Aaron and Hur came alongside him to help. For when Moses' arms became so heavy that he couldn't hold them up any longer, what did those people do? Those people of God, they propped Moses up so that Moses' hands were steady until the sun set, until the sun went down, and God gave the victory to His people. What a wonderful picture of the need of anyone called to the ministry. That incident is a striking illustration, isn't it, of how a church can prop up their pastor through prayer with their support and their prayers and how the victory can come in the movement of the church in the world and His kingdom as God's people are praying and holding up their pastor in prayer. See, it's not been my intention at all to draw undue attention to myself. As I said, it would be easier probably to preach this to another congregation about coming alongside their pastor in prayer. But as it has it, it's here. And we're confronted with it. And I don't back off from it. Pray for me. God attacks pastors in their studies. He attacks them on the road. He attacks them in their thoughts. He attacks them in their desires. He speaks doubt and fear and frustration into their minds. The enemy does. He whispers lies and wickedness into our ears. And for all of that, those in ministry and service in our Lord's kingdom need your prayers. Pray for those who are called to ministry and service. Pray for me because prayer is necessary. E.M. Bounds, some of you may be familiar with him, 19th century author, pastor, not of the uh, Reformed and Presbyterian persuasion, but that doesn't mean people unlike us don't have something wise to say to us. E.M. Bounds wrote 11 books, nine of them focused on the subject, prayer. He wrote these words. That the true apostolic preacher must have the prayers of others. Good people to give his ministry its full quota of success. And I might add, by God's grace. Paul is a preeminent example. He asks, he covets, he pleads in an impassionate way for the help of God's saints. For he knew 
that in the spiritual realm as elsewhere, in union, there is strength. That the consecration and aggregation of faith, desire, and prayer increased the volume of spiritual force until it became overwhelmingly and irresistible in its power. Units of prayer combined like drops of water make an ocean that defies resistance. Pray for pastors that you know, that are ministering ministering to people that you know, that you come in contact with. Pray for them. Pray for me. God can certainly accomplish all of His work without us. But oh, what a glorious thing it is to be involved with that work with Him and with you. And to know that He is well pleased to use and to affect His purposes and to extend His kingdom through our prayers. Pray for those called to the ministry of the Word that they would speak divine supply of truth out of the source of truth, the words, the Scripture inspired by God, those of the Old and New Testament, that they would speak with boldness in season and out of season and through endurance. Speak the Word of God. Paul says, pray for me. Pray for them. Pray for me. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, Gracious King, make us people who pray without ceasing in all times with all sorts of prayers. Pray constantly and continually for the work of your kingdom. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.